By the early 2000s, the company had grown very fast. Some of the acquisitions had gone well, but sometimes we suffered losses. With hindsight, I think we should have covered ourselves a little better financially for that massive expansion. You're listening to On Course, a podcast from Damen, about how a visionary idea turned a small company into one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world. My name is Volker Tempelman, and I've been fascinated by Dutch entrepreneurs at home and abroad for years. In this podcast, you'll hear a remarkable story about headwinds and perseverance, about daring and doing. It was the eve of the new millennium. Damen had completed an impressive series of takeovers within the Netherlands and outside. Domestically, the company was now the biggest shipyard. Actually, you could question whether there was any competition for Damen at all, says maritime historian Jook Korteweg. It got to the point where they had the opportunity to acquire so many other companies that they really had to ask themselves, do we want all this? The company for sale had to fit with Daman's philosophy, which was, if we buy this yard, can we still produce at a low cost price? And will it yield a better product? Could they maintain those fast delivery times? Because those were key elements of the Daman philosophy. The more you can standardize, the better the end product will ultimately be. As soon as you take on a commitment to maintaining employment levels, for example, as at Wilton Feyenoord, you could forget about your low cost price. And so you start making losses or meager profits. So acquisitions are only attractive if they add something to the business. In the 1980s, Kommer made several attempts to acquire the Schelde shipyard which is known mainly for its naval vessels. But he failed time and again because his bids were considered too low. Although Dama's portfolio was still lacking a specialist naval yard at the time, it continued independently developing and building fast vessels, such as patrol boats for foreign governments and coast guards. We sold them to foreign navies and they would ask us, what do you build for your own navy? Well, unfortunately nothing at all. We needed to get ourselves a better reference. So I thought, let me talk to the Minister of Economic Affairs, because the government was a shareholder in the Schelde. I had read that the yard was losing money and that the employees were threatening to go on strike if new orders didn't come in. I think that shipyard was a bit of a headache for the government, so I made an appointment with the Minister of Economic Affairs, Anna-Marie Juritsma, and she got a whole team together for the meeting. And I said, well... I'd like to buy De Schelde. It was late 1998 and Damen was looking to acquire De Schelde in order to expand into the international market for military vessels. At the same time, 
The Dutch government was keen to get rid of the yard. It even tried to make the company as attractive as possible to potential buyers. It guaranteed that the yard would get to build virtually all the vessels for the Dutch Navy in the future. Even though Damen had plenty of experience of acquiring shipyards, De Schelde was new territory. The government owned 90% of the company and was also the most important negotiating partner. Mariette Doornekamp, CFO at the time, was closely involved in the takeover. That was a very complex acquisition. Not least because at that point, De Schelde was much more than the yard alone. And everything within the De Schelde conglomerate was interlinked. We went through the contracts one by one, and only when we knew for sure that we had identified and covered all the risks did we say, okay, we can buy it. The government didn't know what to do with the shipyard. Of course, they did want to be sure we would continue to build vessels for the Ministry of Defense. So the Navy also had an interest in an orderly transition for the company. They could see that things weren't going well, that the shipyard couldn't go on the way it was, and that it was being negatively impacted by other projects De Schelde was involved in. I can understand why the government was looking for a solution. We had got to the point that we could say to them, if you don't do it, if you don't accept our bid or our proposal, you'll be left with nothing. So at least our proposal was better than nothing, which of course massively helped in the negotiations. Eventually, Damen bought the Schelde for the symbolic sum of one guilder. Moreover, Damen received 70 million guilders in extra support from the government for the takeover. The deal led to a lot of questions from the European Commission as to whether this form of state support was acceptable. The takeover eventually took more than two years and was successfully completed in 2000. De Schelder pretty much is Vlissingen. Virtually everyone who lives there is directly or indirectly dependent on the shipyard. Wherever you look, the Schelde is everywhere. So this was more than just a takeover of one company. And that led to resistance. Not everyone was pleased about the prospect of a takeover by a firm with zero experience of building naval ships. People were unsure and wondered how things were going to turn out, whether they would now start to grow. Obviously, they were coming from a situation where there had been a lot of claims and bankruptcy proceedings. And that meant there was always a kind of sense of doom hanging over the company. You can imagine that it was a tense time for the employees and that they wondered whether things would get back to normal now. Obviously, Damen had no background in the naval sector. Could Damen handle it? Had the Schelde been taken over by the right party? And could they continue to do what they were proud of? The existing board had to go. They had strongly resisted the takeover by Damon, so staying didn't seem like a good idea. At that time, René Bergvens was director of Damen Gorkum. He put his name forward when they were looking for a new director for De Schelde. We were entering a completely new market. 
Obviously, De Schelder was a very old-fashioned shipbuilding company with a very different culture to Diamond. So that was going to be a real challenge. But I thought this is something of a unique opportunity. So I seized it with both hands. I still remember driving to Vlissingen the first time. I parked my car outside the gates and reported to the porter. He asked who I was and what I was there for. So I told him. He was startled. He said, you're the new director. He stood up and led me straight to my first meeting across the site. We entered that imposing office building, which was known among the employees as the Kremlin, because it was where the directors worked. There was a strong split between white-collar and blue-collar workers there, which was a major difference with Diamond. It was an old industrial company that had grown substantially in the 50s, 60s and 70s. At one point, it employed 4,500 people from the surrounding area. So they had a huge footprint in the province of Zeeland, which is otherwise thinly populated. In Vlissingen, the director of De Schelde was a lot more important than the mayor. But I was basically going there because there was no one else. And as soon as I met the management team, I said, let me say this clearly from the start. I've been sent here alone, but we're going to have to do this together. We have to make it work. It's my future, but it's also your future. So we're in this together. Let's make the best of it. Then I grabbed a blank sheet of paper and we started sketching out what the organization needed to look like. René's task was to bring two worlds together. On the one hand, the De Schelde Yard with its reputation for technical quality. On the other hand, the more commercially oriented Damen. The Berlin Wall had fallen. We had the peace dividend. Defence spending was going to be cut. So we knew the number of orders we'd get from the Royal Netherlands Navy would fall. That meant we had to start exporting. And that's exactly what we wanted, because Cormer knew there was a market for military ships around the world. So my job was to see whether we could develop a standardised product for export with all those smart people in Vlissingen. My name is Hein van Ameiden. I started work at the Schelde on the 1st of December 2000. That was a few months after the takeover by Diamond. Back then, Diamond was a pretty informal and hugely enterprising company, but not yet very big. On the other hand, the Schelde was rather chic and upper crust. It was founded in 1875. They were older, stuffy, very focused on craftsmanship and not very enterprising. So the contrast between the company doing the takeover and the company being taken over couldn't really have been any bigger. Hein was named the new export director of Damenschelde Naval Shipbuilding, as the new company was known after the takeover. He also remembers his first day very clearly. <laughs> it makes me laugh just thinking about it. I got out of my car just before 8 o'clock to hear of the steam whistle going off. It had been there, mounted on the roof of the machine shop, since the company was founded. 
It was the signal for the employees to slowly start work. Not the white-collar staff, they all turned up a bit later. A lot later, actually. The machine shop was very long and had reserved parking spaces all along its length. Even the most unimportant employees had reserved parking spaces. We got rid of them all. These days, the only reserved parking spaces are for visitors, and the rest can sort it out for themselves. A lot has changed, really, a lot. Of course, we didn't know anything about serious naval vessels, and it's much more different than I thought. You have to design a warship to withstand shocks. All the weapon systems need to continue to work when it's hit by rockets, shells, you name it. And that's really hard. We acquired a lot of really good know-how with that yard, and we used it to build another standard vessel for the global market, the Sigma series, which turned out to be really rather successful. As a result, the Schelde started experiencing fewer ups and downs in the volume of orders it received. If the military work dried up for a while, we could compensate with civilian work. I'm convinced that the Schelde would have gone out of business long ago if that takeover hadn't taken place. And I also think that Diamond's growth has partially been facilitated by de Schelde. And Damen got the chance to build naval vessels. That was part of the deal. The Karel Doorman and the Johan de Witt. Two colossal ships that were anything but standard. But what did Damen do? They built the hulls in Romania and finished the ships in Vlissingen. That substantially reduced the cost. Together with Gorkum, the Vlissingen Yard also worked on a number of complex civilian projects, such as a research icebreaker for Australia. And so different components and areas of expertise within the Damen conglomerate came together. Damen de Schelde would become a very different company than de Schelde. And it was profitable too. Within five years, they managed to sell nearly 2 billion euros worth of ships to countries including Indonesia, Morocco and South Africa. I always had the idea that if we just managed to get just that first export order, it's a bit like getting a jet aircraft to break the sound barrier. When you do, you get a sonic boom and then you can ease off the throttle. Not that we eased off, because there were all kinds of complexities we had to deal with. But we did benefit from that first order. And there's a direct link between that and the later orders from Indonesia, Morocco and Mexico. For the Morocco order, we used the design for the ship we'd built for Indonesia and finished the blueprint so quickly that our French competitor wasn't able to respond in time. Standardization has a lot of benefits. Standardization levert heel veel op in allerlei gebieden. So the difference with the other big traditional shipyards is that they all sooner or later went bust, whereas the Schelde is still alive. We've managed to turn a profit every year since the takeover in 2000, some years more than others. But that had never happened before in the entire history of de Schelde. We're all standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. You need to remember that. It's not that everything now is better than it was in the past. We're definitely benefiting from what was built up over the previous 150 years. 
We should be proud of our achievements, but it's not all our own doing. The new generation of the Damen family also joined the company during that period. My name is Annelies Damen. I'm the eldest daughter of Comer Damen, and I've been working for the company for at least 22 years. The first big task Comer gave Annelies was to make an inventory of the De Schelde site. It was enormous, and the land that wasn't needed would be sold. 53 hectares, echt heel groot. 53 hectares. Really very big, part of it basically unused. So someone really needed to take a look at it, and it needed to be someone who worked for Damen. That project was my first job, effectively. So we started looking at what we could sell. There were quite a few really nice locations on the water, in the middle of this beautiful old town, so they were ideally suited to redevelopment. So I started selling those sites. Of the three sites Damen acquired in the takeover, they kept two. The first was for Damen Naval, the second for Damen Yachting. Annelies sold the third site to the city, which developed it as a residential area. Skilda Naval Shipbuilding in Flushing, the Netherlands, is the prime supplier for shipbuilding and marine engineering of combat and support vessels for the Royal Netherlands Navy. Former upstart Triumphs read the headline in one of the national newspapers reporting on the takeover of the Schelde. After years of negotiations and transition, Damen Naval was a reality. The cowboys had succeeded in gaining a foothold in the market for military vessels and becoming competitive in it. U, Karel Doorman, and wens u en uw bemanning een behouden vaart. And they had managed something else that no one would have thought possible. Applying Damen's distinctive approach, standardization, in sectors where nothing is standard, explains Joke Korteweg. En toch heeft hij dat concept kunnen toepassen. He managed to apply this concept to both yacht building and naval, and successfully so, so that both could be profitable. He also maintained the low cost price, ever improving quality and massive investment in a product that wasn't really a natural fit for Damen at all. These weren't workboats. These were totally different, and yet the approach still worked. Once the takeover of the Schelde was complete, and the company was more or less up and running, Kommer turned his gaze to something that had eluded him. Buying Wilton Feyenoord. The repair yard was for sale once again, and Kommer was determined not to miss out on the opportunity. And this time he was successful. In 2003, Wilton Feyenoord became part of Damen. I think Mr. Damen had a vision that ship repair should be complementary to the shipbuilding operation. As long as there are ships operating, there will be a need to maintain them. My name is Jeroen Heesters. I'm the director of Diamond Ship Repair and Conversion. The site where we are now sitting, the old Wilton Feyenoord Yard, has a whole history behind it. 
After the takeover, the name Wilton Feyenoord was changed to Damen Ship Repair and Conversion. The name says it all. We do a lot of repairs and we also convert ships. We do regular maintenance as well. That represents a smaller part of our work. It's mostly conversions and lifetime extensions of ships. Those are the bigger orders. For Kommer Damen, the aim was to be dominant in every market. And he was doing pretty well at it. The jobs and orders kept coming in and the wharves were full. More on the far right, you can see the Ocean Explorer, uh, an exploration yacht. It used to be a platform supply boat, which we completely converted. A massive job. The vessel has been here for around uh, six months now, and we're currently fitting chic interior. In front of us is a wind installation vessel, a jack-up ship. It's going to be used to install wind turbines. In front of us, you can see some really big steel structures. That's what the turbines and blades will be mounted on before being installed out at sea. And on the left is a Nexus, a cable-laying vessel built by Diamond, which we're currently performing maintenance work on. The repair and conversion division contributes around 20% of the revenue of the entire Diamond portfolio. The portfolio has been broadened, and I think that has improved Diamond's market position. Damen had two big takeovers under its belt, and the company was serving every niche within shipbuilding. Was Damen now fully grown? Well, no, not quite. A conglomerate like Damen constantly responds to the needs of the market by improving existing models or by designing completely new ships. Like the Stamp Patrol, for example, a vessel that performs well in heavy weather and on which people don't get seasick. For innovative ships of this kind, Kommer Damen was keen to establish partnerships. Damen was always interested in research institutes like Delft University of Technology, where engineers are trained, and Marin, where models are tested. Kommer also had specific demands for research, going right back to the 70s. My name is Lex Koning. I'm a retired associate professor in ship hydromechanics, fast ships and yachts at Delft University of Technology. Damen has been working with professors and students at Delft since the early 80s to develop vessels with specific characteristics. In the 90s, Lex Koning was asked to design an improved patrol vessel for the Dutch Coast Guard in the Caribbean. Fast ships surf on the waves and then smack down hard on the water in heavy weather. That can cause a lot of accidents on board. So Lex came up with the enlarged ship concept where he took a standard ship and made it 25% longer. Those ships turn out to perform better than the existing designs in every respect. Seagoing behavior improved by 60 to 70 percent, and construction costs only increased by 5 percent. The enlarged ship concept also has a sharper bow. When it proved successful, Lex took the design a step further. We realized the bow could be much sharper, and that became the axe bow. 
An axe bow is basically a form in which the bow of the ship slices through the water and waves, which makes the ship much less sensitive to wave motion. That was a real revolution in shipbuilding. The revolutionary shape of the sea axe bow improves safety and comfort on board, and it's more efficient too. The ship can sail at 40 knots, that's around 75 kilometers per hour, through strong winds and waves without slamming down hard on the water. You can just see that it's a much better ship than a regular ship. When you're on board, it's amazing. It's like being on a train, so calm. What was also groundbreaking was the collaboration. Delft University of Technology was involved, as were Maritime Research Institute Marin and the U.S. Coast Guard. They really benefit from one another. Daman is a major customer for technical know-how, which it then invests in the ships. The first axe bow was introduced in the offshore market in 2006. It soon proved a real competitor for the helicopter. It can carry a lot more passengers and is much cheaper to use. More than 200 vessels with this design have since been sold. When Lex retired, Dahman organized a farewell party for him, at which he and his iconic design were honored. Comer said, Lex, you've made me rich. In the early years of the enlarged ship, turnover went from 50 million to 250 million in the course of a few years. So it really was a cash cow. And basically the same thing happened with the axe bow. They've earned a huge amount of money from it and Comer Damen was especially pleased. In 2001, the conglomerate was active in every sector of shipbuilding. It numbered 32 different companies and employed 11,000 people worldwide. But its growth and expansion had a way to go. At the time, Comer anticipated that the company would double in size over the next 15 years. He was convinced that ultimately only a few large shipbuilders would survive in the global market, and he wanted Damen to be one of them. René Bergvens, former director of Damen Schelden Naval Shipbuilding, knew commerce philosophy like no one else. It wasn't just about more turnover and more profit. We always said that a growing company is easier to manage because you can take people on and help them grow within the company. By the early 2000s, the company had grown very fast. Some of the acquisitions had gone well, but sometimes we suffered losses. With hindsight, I think we should have covered ourselves a little better financially for that massive expansion. In the period between 2003 and 2006, the entire board of the conglomerate changed hands. Ultimately, they were replaced by a much smaller board of just four people. One of them was René, who was responsible for Damesgelde and the yacht building and repair divisions. And then Comer decided he no longer wanted to have day-to-day -day control of the company. In 2006, Comer Damen handed over the role of CEO to René. 
even though he was no longer involved in the operational side of the company, Kommer remained connected in many other ways. But the era of him being at the helm was over. Under his leadership, Damen had grown into a company to be reckoned with. But what makes Damen so unique? And why has no other shipbuilder in the Netherlands been able to emulate it? Part of it has to do with personality. For all that time, there was one man at the helm, and he had a very clear philosophy, which has sometimes been described as visionary, even though it was also very pragmatic. For example, the fact that early on Comer had his hulls built abroad was basically driven by necessity. That's now regarded as highly visionary, but he did it because he could see the opportunities in the market, and he knew how to restrain himself when necessary. It takes a person like Comer Daman to be able to do that. So it's a combination of personal factors, favorable global economic developments, and also being just small enough to act decisively. And there's also an element of chance. But you still need to seize the opportunities when they arise. And of course, that depends on the personality of the individual in question. What's the next chapter for Komar? now that he's no longer CEO? And what will the future bring for Damen under the leadership of a new generation? You've been listening to On Course, a podcast from Damen made by audio agency Airborne. Don't want to miss another episode? Subscribe in your favorite podcast app.